Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. It's good to be here this morning, um, as always, and it's been a, it's been a fun uh, few days uh, for my family and, and I. Uh, Friday night, we had a great time of worship here at our church. Um, Aaron and Tiffany, and it was really, what was really cool about the worship experience that Aaron and Tiffany led is that there was a number of other uh, churches that were represented in the worship team here, and then also in the, with the congregation. And so on, um, on Friday night, we had just a beautiful time of worship and of prayer. Uh, and then yesterday, uh, my, I got my kids up, and we uh, went next door to the building, uh, to the house that I mentioned um, was offered to our church that uh, one of our church members purchased um, Lavelle Davis, and we got to do some yard work and help renovate that. And uh, for those of you that weren't here last week, um, that's going to be a ministry house. Uh, and so we're really excited about that. And then, of course, Sundays are always fun uh, just to be able to see you all. Um, we, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. And um, there's four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark's account is, uh, what we've seen is it's really succinct. It's really to the point. What he wants us to see is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He wants us to see the personality of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, the message of Jesus. I was thinking about how you can know somebody for a long time and still learn new things about them. My wife and I have been married 18 years. And she said something the other day, and I honestly can't even remember what it was now, but it was something new. And I thought, what? I had never heard that before about you. My dad was here this last summer, uh, and he was sharing with me some stories that I had never heard before. I grew up with this guy. And uh, so, you know, when, it, when we think about our faith, uh, it's the same thing. Like, we never just kind of stop and get it. We always need to be reminded of it. I need to preach the gospel to myself. I need to, to be reminded of who Jesus is, his ways, his message, as much as I possibly can continually. And so what we've been doing in this series of Mark is we've been reading together kind of these little segments of stories of Jesus' life as we've been asking some questions. Um, the first question is, who is Jesus? If you grew up in the church, you think you got it, but you don't. There's a lot of things about Jesus that you still, we still need to learn. And we talked about this several weeks ago. There's caricatures of Jesus that aren't even close to who he is. Things that have been told to us that aren't accurate. And so in getting back to the gospel, we're rediscovering who Jesus is. The second question is, okay, if Jesus is who he says he is, but he's not here in the flesh like he was when this book was written, how do we follow him today? We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was physically present in the earth. And most credible historians wouldn't debate that fact. What they would debate is that he died and rose again, that he is still alive. We as Christians believe this. And so based on that, what does it mean to follow him today? We've been asking that question as we've been walking through these stories. And then lastly, what are we inviting people into Jesus said to go and make disciples. Well, what does that mean? What exactly are we inviting them to be a part of? Is it just a church service on Sunday? Or is it something more than that? It's definitely something more than that. 
So these are the questions we've been asking, and these are the questions we should continually be asking as we study God's Word together. So in our next section of, of Mark, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. If you don't have a Bible this morning, um, the shortcut is page 860. Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 19. We'll read this together this morning. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Father, we ask this morning that as we look at this little scene from Jesus' life, that you would pull us deeper into the story that you would reveal something of your heart this morning about us and what you've called us to. Lord, that as we ask the question, how do we follow you and what we're inviting people into, that you would give us one aspect of that today, one facet of who you are and what you've called us to. Would you speak this morning, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So right from the get, we see Jesus assembles this group of 12, and we won't go through every aspect of who they are, but we know that they're tax collectors, which are not favorable people. We know there's a religious zealot, Simon. We know there's fishermen. We know there's two brothers that, uh, sons of thunder, it means that they, they're loud dudes, like their presence is felt in the room. Like already we see just this, the diversity and the, the, the challenges that come when you bring disparate people like that together. People that would not normally hang out together. And, you know, if, you've, if you ever watched a, an ongoing series, there's always that, like, what you missed last episode or, or the little kind of recap of where you're at. So the recap of where we're at is Jesus has been preaching. That's his main thing. He's healing people, too. He's casting out demons, too. But his main thing is Preaching. It's what he cares the most about. He's preaching that something is about to change. That the kingdom of God is about to break into and is breaking into the earthly kingdom. Something powerful is happening. Jesus' compassionate heart is on display because he heals people. Because he, he frees them from their demonic oppression. And you would think this would be okay, but it's not. There's a lot of people that have power in the culture that are starting to realize that Jesus is something and they're nervous about losing that power. Religious leaders, political leaders. We saw last week as we left off in the, the passage that religious fundamentalists were now aligning themselves with Roman nationalists. 
Does that sound familiar? We see aspects of that in our culture. And these, both of these groups, as far away as they can be, they're unified in one thing. They don't like Jesus. So Jesus is a threat to those that want to reject him. But to those that know they're broken, know they need help, they are flocking to him. And this is what we see today. In the, in the passage we just read, there's these crowds coming. And Jesus is feeling the pressure. He's feeling the pressure, as we mentioned, from the religious leaders and from those that are opposed to him. But he's also feeling the pressure of demand. Because he can heal people, and he has healed people. And so they are coming from everywhere. Those regions, those cities that are mentioned in the text that we just read. It's a bigger area. His fame is growing. And I love this. It says in verse 9, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him. This is the, the first, century, first century equivalent of like, yo, keep the car running. <laughs> like, if things get out of hand, we're going to get out of here. And Jesus has compassion on the people, but there's moments where he realizes, yo, the, the crush is too much, and so I have to withdraw. We saw this earlier where he just takes some time to pray. So in this case, he's like, we need to have a boat so that like, people aren't, people aren't going to tread water for an hour while I preach, right? We can just set off a little bit and I can continue to preach. Because remember, that's his main message. His main goal is to preach. So as Jesus is preaching, and we've seen this already as well, conflict happens not just externally with like religious leaders and politicians, but it, conflict starts to happen internally, spiritually. People that have given themselves willingly over to demonic forces to what the Bible says is impure spirits, they're also not happy. <laughs> Maybe not them in particular, but the spirits within them. And we see Jesus continually as he interacts with people that have demonic spirits and he, and he deals with them. The, the demonic spirits start to call out who he is and Jesus says, stop, be quiet. We, we talked about why this might be um, in earlier messages, one of the reasons is Jesus wants to be the one that says who he is. He wants to be the one that, that reveals his identity. And there's a sense of like a, a kind of a progressive revelation happening here. From Jesus healing people and preaching about the kingdom to then forgiving sins, aligning himself with his true identity, which is God. But in the ancient world, um, there's another principle at play that most of us probably wouldn't be aware of today, is that there is a, an understanding that when you name somebody, you have power over them. And so in them, in, in Jesus stopping demonic spirits from naming him, he is cutting off their ability to, to have influence or power over, not Jesus, because he's God, but over those that would listen to him. And this, again, this wasn't a, so much about his name, Jesus, which is really a common name in that time. It's more about his identity and his authority. Uh, at a, at a, a level we can understand this, um, not only do your parents name you, right? They gave you, you, they gave you an actual name. But people in your life will call things out about you, either good or bad. Growing up, maybe somebody said to you, man, you... You'll never be able to do that. And so that's a type of naming, right? Or they'll say, wow, we've really seen this gift and this, this blessing in you. That's a type of naming. Like they're calling something out of you. And so Jesus, he is reserving that authority for himself. Um, one of the questions that we uh, circle back to in our Western world is even 
kind of bristling at the idea of the demonic, that people could be demon-possessed. And, and again, we talked about this in an earlier messages. Um, but the reality is, is if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, we cannot avoid the very real reality of demonic forces, of Satan and those fallen angels that are under his authority. Uh, I, when I, shortly after I moved uh, here to Renton, I was um, chatting with a, a pastor um, who pastors a, a Vietnamese church here in the city. And he says, you know, Andrew, um, one, of the, one of the interesting things about my ministry is a number of folks that come to, to faith in Jesus come out of a, a Buddhist background where they will willingly, weekly go to a temple and they will sacrifice and pray to idols. He says what they don't know is uh, that they essentially are inviting de demonic presence, demonic spirits into their lives. So he says, when we lead people to Christ, I also have to deal with that. It's a, it's a very real part of his ministry. And this is true all around the world, and I've had these experiences myself. And so we can't avoid that. Uh, we, have to, we have to wrestle with that reality, too, as we see the ministry of Jesus' life. The other thing we see as we kind of walk through this scene in Jesus' life is that this is a key moment in the ministry of, of Jesus where he pulls 12 people out of the crowd. So there's the crowd, right? There's thousands of people showing up to hear him preach and, and to, to ask him to heal them. But out of those, Jesus calls 12 to be part of his inner circle. This 12, uh, I think, is representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, like literally the foundation of Israel. And I, it points forward to a multiplication of the ministry. So what Jesus does is he, he calls them out of their current occupation to be his apprentice. And he says, as you walk with me, now I'm going to release you into ministry. And you're going you're to take this same message that I'm preaching and you're going to share it with others. Uh, in some ways, this 12, uh, this symbolic gesture of calling the 12 was also an indictment on the current occupation of Israel. There was other leaders, and the 12 tribes of, of Israel had historically been the leaders of the country. And now they're occupied. And so Jesus, it's a, a subversive movement as well, as he calls these 12 to, to begin to work behind the scenes in the culture around them. One of the things that we see in the biblical narrative from Genesis all the way to, to Revelation is whenever a mountain is involved, it's symbolic of a new thing that's about to happen. Remember the Israelites, how they met God at the mountain at Mount Sinai to get their commission to go out. And so Jesus calls his 12 up to this mountain, away from the crowds, to begin something new. And this isn't a new Israel, necessarily, but it is a new community, and that's why we're here today. This is the beginning of the church. And these disciples, um, we often, maybe if you grew up or maybe your, your Bible even says the 12 disciples, but they are that, but they're more than that. They would be designated apostles, which means ones that are sent, like a modern-day missionary. And so these 12 would be with Jesus. They would be an apprentice to Jesus, and then they'd be sent out to do what Jesus has been doing, to preach, to heal, to free people of demonic influence. Okay, so this is the scene that we just read. What does it mean today? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The unbelieving world at best will only acknowledge the humanity of Jesus. 
At best, let's say he was a good man. If you look at the, the list of the 100 most influential people in history, Jesus is always at the top of these lists. There's no denying. No, again, no credible historian can deny that Jesus existed and that he has had a significant impact on history, on the world around us. But at best, that's as far as they'll go. That's as far as they'll acknowledge. They'll acknowledge his humanity, but that's it. On the flip side, many Christians only emphasize his deity. Like, oh yeah, we, we, we acknowledge he was alive and, and real. We, we, we can't, of course we do that. But we overemphasize sometimes his deity. And we don't realize that there is something important about understanding his humanity as well. And I, I think we miss something actually pretty remarkable about the accounts of his life, about the person and message of Jesus if we don't actually see the fullness of both, both his humanity and his deity. Because he wasn't 50%. He wasn't like half God, half man. He was fully God and fully man. He is God who came into our space as one of us. One of the great differences between Christianity and the other major religions of the world is that God knows what it's like to be human. Think about that. Right now, as your mind is wandering toward the Seahawks playing the Jaguars later today, as you're thinking, I should eat more breakfast, God knows what it's like to be you, to sit where you're sitting, to feel what you're feeling. I remember this revelation when I was a kid. Oh, my parents were kids once too? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> I have that discussion with my kids now. Wait a second. I'm not the only one who has felt these feelings? No, I have too. Whoa. Tell me more, they say. God knows what it is like to be in our shoes. I mentioned earlier that Jesus is facing immense pressure. And he feels this pressure. If you always think of Jesus, and this because this is how I think of him, as this like monotone, kind of uh, no emotion, just barely touching the ground because he practically floats when he walks. This is why we need to reread the story. There was a moment where Jesus was so distraught about the cross that he began to weep blood which is an actual medical condition, right? It's possible to be under so much stress that that can happen. So Jesus knows what it feels like, this pressure he's enduring of the demands of the crowds, of the opposition of the people. Talk about stress and anxiety. Jesus felt it. One of my favorite verses is Hebrews chapter 4. If you have, you want to flip there real quickly. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. The author of Hebrews is, is talking about Jesus as a priest. And a priest is one that's a mediator between God and man. He's, a priest is one that, that would, in the Old Testament, would help atone for the sins of the people. So he's comparing Jesus to a priest. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. In every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every way as we are. The picture of Jesus as a, as a high priest is, number one, Jesus in this passage, we know he is still alive. He is still working on our behalf. He is still our connection to God. He is working on our behalf. And priests, again, were the connection between God and man. And that's what Jesus is. He entered into our space, and he lived a sinless life, and he made something possible that no other priest, no other religion could do. Jesus made a way, made a way to God. And you've heard me say this before. So many religions picture God as sitting up on a mountain, and all paths eventually get there, right? All roads lead to God. But that's not the picture of Christianity. God came down on the mountain. He met us exactly where we're at. He doesn't wait for you to get yourself together, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or any other weird American cliche. He says, I will meet you where you are at. This is the kind of God that we have. And because of this, Jesus knows the battles we face. Jesus is like a massive boulder on the edge of the sea. He could bear the brunt of the temptation and not be moved by it. No, none of us can do that. But Jesus still felt it. He still felt that temptation. Because Jesus was human, he knows the battles we face. Because Jesus was human, but without sin, he has the greatest compassion for every sinner. He has great compassion for you, more than any other person in this world. Because he knows the effects of sin. He knows the temptation to sin. He's felt that. Jesus held up a crazy high standard of obedience and holiness to follow him. But he is still unbelievably compassionate to those who fall short of it. And so when we trust in Jesus, we have the strength we need. I love that. So we may receive mercy and find grace. This is the promise of the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. So who is Jesus? He is one that can empathize with you and me. He's not far off. He's not distant. The other question is, how do we follow him today? Oops. How do we follow him today? In our passage this morning, there are three things we saw Jesus do that are key to the mission that he has. There's other things we'll see him do too, but we're just sticking with this today. How do we follow him today? Well, number one, we saw that Jesus got away. He, he went up after the crush of the crowds, after the pressure that he was feeling, he went up to the mountain. In our current culture, our biggest issue is being busy. We actually have more time than any other generation's ever had to not work, but we work more. 
And we say we're busy with work, but sometimes it's not work. Sometimes it's play. Our kids have sports events every day of the week. We have activities, extracurricular activities outside of work. Or we just have that Netflix series that we got to binge. And so we spend hours. Did you know that the, the current uh, average media consumption per day in America is about 11 hours? You're like, wait, how is that possible? Are people working? Radio, music, streaming, video games. Many of your work even include media. So we say we are busy, but a lot of this we do to ourselves. And so Jesus knew he needed at times to get away from it all. And if you don't have time to just be without something coming at you, I guarantee you, you will feel it. Your soul will begin to dry up. And it will affect other parts of your body, other parts of your relationships. And you'll wonder, what is going on? Why is this relationship falling apart? Why is this health thing happening? You haven't figured out how to just be. All the things come in your direction. All the pressures that you face. So Jesus demonstrated this, and I think it's something that's really important for us to know. There are times when we just need to get away, turn off the noise. The other thing that's important we saw Jesus do, which is to pray. Jesus' mission is tied to his identity. Jesus' mission is tied to his identity, and his identity is affirmed by the Father. He demonstrates this for us. Whenever he goes to, to prayer, it's a reaffirmation of where his strength comes from, of who he is. And we do the same thing. Prayer reaffirms our identity by elevating the voice of God in our lives. I'm going to say that one more time because it's important for us to, to, to think of prayer in this way. Prayer reaffirms our identity by elevating the voice of God in our lives. If you are anxious, confused, depressed, lonely, there is a very good chance that the wrong voices are being elevated in your life. I had three days where my phone didn't work this summer, and I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> For real. I'm still thinking, I felt different after that. Why is that? Prayer elevates the voice of God in our lives. And then the third thing that we see that Jesus did is we see him choose the twelve to be a part of his mission. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. Christianity is a team sport. We were made for community. And this is not a cliche statement. This is rooted in the creation story. When God made man, he goes, something is missing. Woman. We're made to be in community. We see this demonstrated in the Godhead itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a perfect demonstration of community. I'll tell you what, we have, uh, in recent years, we've become really infatuated with personality tests and with labeling uh, who we are. And, and I'm not going to say they don't have a, a place. I think they can be very useful in helping to identify things. But, uh, so let me just pick on one aspect of this, though. 
introvert, extrovert. Like growing up, nobody ever talked about that kind of stuff. But now we have labels, right? We say, well, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert. And so what does that mean? Oh, it means extrovert, that means they like people. Introvert, they don't want to talk, they don't want to even talk to people. I'm like, where do we get that definition? That's, that's a wrong understanding of introvert, extrovert. And so now what we do is we use those ex- as excuses not to be in community. There's, there's actually more, uh, technically, there's more introverts in society than there are extroverts. Way more. But what does that mean? All that means is that you recharge differently. You get, you, you, extroverts get, they get charged up being with people. Introverts, their tank runs dry. And so you just need more space, more time to recharge. It doesn't mean you don't like people or shouldn't be in community. And if you believe that about yourself as an introvert, you've believed a lie. Because God made you for community. My wife Jessica says, calls herself a friendly introvert. <laughs> and what she means is she likes, she genuinely likes people. But she needs more space to recharge than I do. And so as a, a, a people of God, we have to be reminded the importance of community. And now more than ever, we've been forced into isolation. And Facebook this last week just said they're going to rebrand as meta, which means essentially now you don't ever have to leave your home to interact with people. It can all be digital. It's the future, right? It's science fiction coming to life. But that God, God knows that that's not enough. He created us to be with people. He himself didn't choose to like kind of project himself into humanity virtually. He chose to be incarnate. To actually come into our space. To be with us. Emmanuel with us. So we already mentioned the symbolic nature of the calling of the twelve. But it's more than that. Because the twelve is just the beginning of a new community. A new community that is going to be formed around the grace of God. And so church is never just an event on Sunday. It's community. I do my best as a pastor to tell my kids I'm going to the church building, not to church, because you all are the church. Going to meet with the church, because you all are the church. You know, I was trying to think, what, is the, what are some of the most solitary creatures uh, in the world? Like, uh, are, are we all, is every creature made for community? And the answer is no. Humans are different. Skunks are not made to be in community with each other. (laughs) Top of the list. They can be that kind of introvert. (laughs) But you and me are meant to be with, with God and with each other. Look again at verse 14. He says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. So Jesus knows what it means to be human. He knows we... He knows we need community, and so he calls us to be with him, and then he sends us out to invite others. And the most important part of our Christian life is experiencing what that looks like, what that means to be with each other. But it starts with God, being the presence of God. You can have all the knowledge, you can have all the good deeds, but what you really need for your heart and soul is to be close to Jesus. And so the problem with the crowds that we see in Jesus' ministry, is um, they were 
not truly knowing and experiencing God. They were in proximity with Jesus. Jesus was right there. But the problem with them in actually seeing Jesus was their perspective. They had the wrong perspective. The truth of God's God's presence is evident. It's evident when you take a breath, when the sun sets, or in our case, it even just comes out. (laughs) God's presence is evidence in the miracle of birth. And in our current day, we get easily swept up in the currents of our culture, and we only stop to ask, where are you, God, when something breaks, something in our life, something goes wrong? To experience the presence of Jesus means that we, are, we intentionally set aside moments to just be with him. And then out of that being with him, we let Jesus tell us what's next. Tell us where to go and what to do. Let him speak our, his, our identity into us. And this is not a, a hidden Bible secret that takes years to decode. Jesus literally died so that you can Know him and be fully known. So the last question, what are we inviting people into? What are we inviting people into? Well, it starts with a relationship. And I don't mean a relationship like, please like my posts on social media kind of relationship. Uh, What it starts with is God wants you to know him in such a way that you know what he thinks of you. Do you know that this morning? If you were to ask God, God, what do you think of me? Would you know the answer to that question? That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. A great illustration of this is found in that list of names of the 12. He changes Peter's name. He really gives him a nickname. His his name is Simon, and he says, your name is going to be Peter, which means what? A rock. He has a mission for Peter, and he calls that out in his identity. He knows James and John, the sons of thunder. I joke with my boys and call them that sometime. It's an affectionate ribbing by Jesus. These guys are loud and boisterous. They want to be right there with Jesus in everything that he does. Jesus gives people nicknames. He calls out their mission and their identity. He knows these people. This is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. Um, when I was younger, my last name is Fouché, and uh, the kind of common nickname, my dad was nicknamed this as well, is Fouch, for short. I always know telemarketer because they, they call me Fouch or Fouchy or something like that. It's Touche with an F, in case you're wondering. And so a lot of my friends called me Fouch, and it carried over, and then I was working for a missions organization, and people were still calling me Fouch, and then one day I walked past the president of this missions organization, and he called me Fouch, and I felt like it was inappropriate, Um, because I was like, wow, that's a really personal nickname. Like, those are people that know me well call me that. My wife, when we were dating, called me that. She calls me other things now. We won't get into that. Um, (laughs) But I remember, like, it had been years of majority of folks in my life calling me this. I hadn't lived at home for a while, so nobody that knew me growing up was calling me Andrew. And I remember one day in my prayer time asking the Lord, Lord, if you were to audibly call my name right now, what would you call me? And just like that, I felt like he said, Foosh. 
<laughs> and I say that to share, like, that's the type of intimacy that God desires to have with us. He desires to know us in this way. Out of relationship with him, Jesus speaks purpose into our lives. And it's not a make money so you can retire and die in comfort kind of purpose. No, it's deeper than that. He wants you to know that he knows your joy and pain. He knows your nicknames and hobbies. He knows your personality and your past, your talents and your gifts. And he wants you to know that if you walk with him, he'll show you how he can take all of that and give it a purpose for his kingdom. So this morning, we've looked at just one brief snapshot of the life of Jesus that that highlights both his humanity and his divinity. That Jesus felt the pressures we felt. And he also accomplished a supernatural mission of reuniting humanity with the one who created all of it. So listen, if you haven't learned what it means to be with Jesus this morning, it's my hope that this will be a marker for you to move out of the crowd and into his presence. Stop only coming to him in your brokenness and come to him with everything that you are. Know him and be fully known by him. If you haven't yet come out of the crowd, if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, said, I want to follow you, then today's an opportunity for you to do that. As we sing this last song in, in Christ alone, We'll be available to pray with you up front. We'd love for you to come down and allow us to do that with you. Let's pray right now, though, as we prepare for our last song. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you can empathize with us. You know what we're feeling. You know what we're dealing with right now. Not just one of us, but all of us in this room. You know the moment that we were born. You know the name that we were given by our parents. You know the nicknames that our friends call us. You know our brokenness, and you know our joy. And you call us just the same. Father, would we trust you with all that you are? Would we give you everything that we have, Father? Would we hear your voice? And this morning, if there are people that have not said yes to you, not placed their faith in you, may today be that moment that moment of reconciliation, of reunion with the one who made them. And if that's you as we sing this last song, we just want to invite you to come forward. Let's all stand and sing this declaration of the centrality of Jesus in our lives as we close. You've been listening to Sermon Audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.